You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. So hey, get your Bibles out and turn to John chapter 14. And what it tastes like. Uh, Psalmist wrote, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. In Matthew 26, 29, at the Last Supper, uh, Jesus said this, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In Revelation 19, 9, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Heaven will taste good. And um, well, we're in our series Jesus, who do you think you are? Uh, That's what uh, those who stood against him were asking. That's what uh, they were pushing at. Um, Who do you think you are? And Jesus says, I am. I am. Just as Moses has been taught, what what do I say? Who do I say sent me? And you tell them I am sent you. And so um, Jesus, along with a lot of other ways as he's explaining who does he think he is, uh, we've been looking at the I am statements of Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Last week we looked at I am the resurrection and the life. And uh, this week we take a look at Jesus, the one and only, when he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I've got your Bibles open, I trust by now. Let's stand. We want to honor God as we read his word. And I'm going to read uh, starting at uh, John 14, uh, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the amazing uh, opportunity we have to stand and to sit here, Lord, with with your word in our hands and to hear the teaching of Jesus Christ as as he's answering over and over again those who stand against him, who do you think you are? And in this very special passage, Lord, your son Jesus Christ lays out for us some foundational truths that are so critical for us to understand. So, Lord, would you give us ears to hear your word and, Lord, minds to understand. Open our eyes, God, so that we would hear from your word and then, God, to passionately live out for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, as we often do, it's important that you set the context of of a message, and um, we want to take a minute and do that. Um, John chapter 13 through 17 is uh, really um, Jesus' last major teaching opportunity uh, with his followers before he he goes to the cross, Um, the upper room discourse. Uh, they're in the upper room. They're having the Last Supper. And, and Jesus is doing some teaching with them. And in, in uh, John chapter 14, it's a chapter that is so chucked full of truth. You could do a seven, ten-week series. Maybe one day I will. Right out of this one chapter, there's so much that's packed in this. Um, 
that we want to see. But today, because the preacher only has a certain amount of time and you can only bear so much pain, I'm only going to go through the first six verses. But there are some other key things that come out of this chapter that you need to be aware of. Just after chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus starts teaching about his relationship with the Father. He touches on it in verse 1, and then he comes back to it in verse 6, and ultimately he comes to the understanding and telling the people, you need to understand, me, the Father, we are one. We're not separated, we are one. In chapter 14, he goes on and he will teach about the coming Holy Spirit and he's going to go, but a comforter is coming. The Holy Spirit is going to come who's going to lead and direct and guide us. And so thankful to God that the Lord Jesus didn't just leave us, but he sent the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God when we trust Christ who uh, we are baptized into the Holy Spirit. He indwells us and, and through obedience and, and moving forward in our lives, we are filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus teaches about the Spirit that will come. And then in this chapter, he makes a statement that he says, um, Jesus says that we will do greater works than these. Greater works than these. Uh, what an amazing statement that, that Jesus makes right in the middle of this chapter and all of the things he's doing. He goes, hey, guess what? You're going to do greater works than these. And Jesus has already said to them, um, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, Jesus has already done some pretty amazing miracles. He has turned the water to wine. He has healed the sick. He has fed the 5,000. He has walked on water. He has raised Lazarus from the dead. And in just a matter of two or three days from when he makes this statement, he will raise himself from the dead. And he says, and you're going to do greater works than these. I've never turned water to wine. I've never fed 5,000. I've eaten enough for 5,000, but I've never fed 5,000. I never walked on water. I never raised anybody from the dead, and I certainly can't raise myself from the dead. So when Jesus says, you're going to do greater works than even these, what did, what did he mean? What was he saying? Because the ultimate is you raise yourself from the dead, and none of us have ever done that or ever will do it. Well, the reality is, the reality is that Jesus is not talking about how magnificent the works are, the magnitude of them. He's talking about the scope of them and what we will accomplish for him and for his glory. They won't be greater in magnitude. You're not going to walk on water. You're not going to feed 5,000. You're not going to raise somebody from the dead, and you're not going to raise yourself from the dead. But the magnitude of the work that we will do will surpass what Jesus did. Really? Yeah. Think about the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost alone, more believers were added than through the entire ministry of Jesus Christ that we know of. And so it's not, it's not greater in magnitude, but it's greater in scope. And take a look at what God is doing in our church and, and growing his church around the world. And God uses us to do even greater works. Chapter 14 is an amazing chapter. You need to dig into it. You need to consider it. It's the context uh, for which we kind of lay out our message today. And here's the first thing I want you to see is three foundational truths. Three foundational truths. The first one is uh, we live in a troubled world. We live in a troubled world. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. The word troubled means to be agitated or to be terrified or to be unsettled. 
And he's saying to his followers, don't let your hearts be troubled. But you have to imagine what they're going through. What they're, try they're trying to figure this all out. They're now in the upper room. And, and they're trying to put it all together. They were thinking Jesus was coming to be the king. When they were going into Jerusalem just about a week earlier, they were thinking, finally, it's going to happen. and He's going to be the king. And now they're in the upper room and he's starting to say some more things that are, I've got them just wondering what's going on and, and what is happening. Jesus had said earlier in his ministry, you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. When we're going through the I am's, we know that uh, every time he made this statement, it seemed like the heat got turned up a little bit more after one of the occasions, it says uh, that they tried to arrest him. On, a, on another occasion, they wanted to kill him. In chapter 11, remember I made, uh, poked at Thomas a little bit last week. I called him Eeyore uh, when he said, uh, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. And they're all now sitting in the upper room and they're trying to figure it all out. In uh, chapter 13 and verse 21, uh, Jesus says this, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Over in verse 33, he says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you where I am going. You cannot come. And in verse uh, 36, he says this, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. And then in verse 38, he makes this statement. Jesus talking to Peter. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the, ro the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. And right after that, don't let your hearts be troubled. See, it's so easy for us because we know the rest of the story. Because we understand what happened. We understand what happens in the next 24 and 36 and 48 and 72 hours. We, we know, we know because we can see. But they were stirred. They were trying to figure out. They're a little discombobulated about the whole thing. What they thought was going to happen apparently isn't going to happen. And, and Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled they're living in a world that's filled with a political unrest with the Romans. There, there's security unrest. There is religious unrest. And, and they're not sure and they're wondering. And Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Hey, church, we live in a world with political unrest. We live in a world with security unrest. We live in a world with religious unrest. And we can get all agitated and we can get all worked up and we can get in. And Jesus says to us, don't let your heart be troubled. He's going to lay it out for them. I got this all, for, I got it for you. I, I'm going to take care of this for you. Don't let your heart be troubled. When you see what's going on in the politics around the world and you wonder what's going to happen. When you see the security concerns around our world, planes drop out of the sky and all those things that go on. And he says, don't let your heart be troubled. When we understand the religious unrest and the attack against Christianity, even the pressures we feel a little bit in our nation, Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. When you don't know what's coming next in your family, don't let your heart be troubled. When you're waiting for a health report and you're not sure how it's going to come back, don't let your heart be troubled. 
When you wonder how your kids are going to turn out, are they going to be okay? Will they follow Jesus? Don't let your heart be troubled. When you wonder whether you'll have a job at the end of the week, don't let your heart be troubled. When your marriage is struggling and you're wondering what's going to happen, God's going, I'm, I'm in this. I'm, I'm going to go with this through you. Don't let your heart be troubled. When there seems like there's more month than there is money for the month, don't let your heart be troubled. When you're not sure about your future, when you wonder about your own giftedness, the Lord says, don't let your heart be troubled. Well, why? Why? The next point is because we serve a faithful God. We have a faithful God. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. See, in the troubling world, in the world where our hearts are struggling and filled with anxiety, they're calmed when we understand our faithful God. They're calmed when we come to the place where we, ultimately where we believe. Look what he says. He says, believe in God. Believe in God. You want to get it figured out in life? You don't figure it out in science. You don't figure it out in man's plans. You don't figure it out in, in your own wisdom. All of those things are interesting studies, and, and they don't take us anywhere. They don't end anything. So you want to come to a conclusion, believe in God. Believe in God. It's not a suggestion. It's an imperative in the Greek language. You need to believe in God. The Bible says everyone believes in God. And then there, the, uh, you know, we talk about Remembrance Day, and they always said there's, um, there's no atheists in a foxhole. When, you, when you're meaning ending, you're meeting the end of life, that people cry out to God. Don't let your heart be troubled. Our world is filled with trouble saying there aren't any troubles. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Come to him for the answer. Come to him for what sustains. Believe in God, he says. Believe also in me. Okay, Jesus is not saying that, okay, you believe in God and I'm a separate thing from God. I'm a separate person from God. He's saying we are one. He goes on in the rest of the chapter and he, he talks about that. We just don't have time to get to it today. That's why I say you go home and read it and understand what Christ is saying. You believe in God? You're believing in me. Believe in me. It all comes together when we believe. It all comes together through faith. Life makes sense when we understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us and what he's accomplished for us. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That word is all through the book of John. Uh, last week in John chapter 11 when Jesus was talking to Martha, it's like, believe, 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 believe. Do you believe this? When your heart is troubled, when life doesn't make sense, you need to go back to the one foundation we have, and that's God and the finished work of Jesus Christ, and you need to believe. We can have calm in a world that's filled with anxiety because of a faithful God if we believe. We can have calm in a troubling world because we have an amazing expectation. That's the next thing we want to see. We have an amazing expectation. Now look what he says in verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. <clears throat> Here's a key word there. Jesus says, I go. I go. If you were here last week, you'll remember we talked about Caiaphas, and Caiaphas thought that he was the guy with the great plan, that he was going to, he was going to deal with Jesus. He was going to put him to death. And I said to you last week, Caiaphas was a pawn in the hands of Almighty God. Jesus was going to the cross. Caiaphas couldn't stop it if he wanted to. And all he did was help fulfill the plan of God. Jesus said, I go. I go. Jesus going to prepare a place for us required him to go to the cross. He went on his own initiative. He decided when he would go. He went on our behalf. Jesus says, I go. I go. He says, I go and prepare a place for you. I go and prepare a place for you. Lots of times you hear Christians talk about, I wonder what my mansion will look like in heaven. I wonder what my mansion will look like in heaven. We think like that because we think in worldly pictures, right? Like I, I got a house here, I want a bigger house here, and, and, and hey, what, what's my mansion gonna be like in, in heaven? I mean, it's an interesting word, but it's not the best word. It's not the best description of what Jesus is going to prepare for us. Um, one version uses the place, uh, uses the word, going to prepare a dwelling place for you. Another version, the one we use, uses the word, I'm going to prepare a, a room for you. Uh, that's probably a little bit light. Dwelling place is probably a, a better word. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a dwelling place for you. The actual ancient Greek word dwelling place or rooms is more accurate to the Greek word. But when you think about God's nature, mansion is what God's going to get. God's not creating some stuff up there that's like substandard right? It's not going to be Walmart quality when we get to heaven. God's preparing something for us. It's going to be awesome because he's making it for us. So if you want to envision it as a mansion, you want to visit it as a room, you envision it however you want. Just understand that Jesus said, I go and I'm going through the way of the cross to prepare a place for you. Love prepares a welcome for us in heaven. I like the parents who are preparing the room that they'll bring the new baby home from the hospital prepared in love or, or like the um, host or hostess who's preparing for visitors to come and they want to make sure everything is just right. It's like that, only so much more. I go to prepare a place for you. And Jesus is preparing it because he's confident of our arrival that one day we will be with him. The imagery of the dwelling place is taken from an oriental house in which the son and the daughters have apartments under the same roof as their parents. That's the picture of what Jesus is doing here. This quote really helped me. Um, this truth may reflect the marriage custom of the bridegroom who would go to the bride's house and bring her to her father's house where an apartment would have been built for the new couple. And so Jesus is doing is preparing the place for when the bridegroom, the bride, uh, the bride, us, are coming to live under the house of God. He's preparing it for us. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be amazing. And the food's going to be good too. But that's not the greatest thing about heaven. The greatest thing about heaven is not going to be the food or my apartment Jesus says, I can take you to myself. That's going to be the greatest thing about heaven. Uh, we're going to be with Jesus Christ. We're going to worship with him forever. 
Keep your finger in John 14 and flip over to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. In Revelation chapter 21 and 22, there's some amazing descriptions of heaven all through the last part of Revelation. I just want to read you some verses from each of those chapters. Revelation 21 verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven uh, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's what we were just talking about. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear. See, those kids were pretty smart in what they said before. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Over to chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne, from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the heal. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. See, those kids were pretty smart, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and have an amazing expectation that Jesus Christ is going to come and take us to be with himself. Well, all of this really comes out of the next part, which is one awesome, one awesome focus. Look at verses 4 to 6. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's like verse 4 is the setup for the rest of what he's going to say. It's kind of like the prof who tells you on the night before the exam, you want to write this down. You want to make sure you understand these things. And that's kind of what verse 4 is like when Jesus says, and you know the way to where I am going. You want to know the way and you want to know the where. It's what he's telling them. Um, so he talks about the way. You know the way to where I am going. Jesus has been with his disciples primarily and then a larger group of 72, but primarily with his disciples and all the way along he's been telling them, you know the way, you know the way, you know the way. And they keep saying, tell us the way, tell us the way. And Jesus says, believe, believe. The way to where I'm going is through believing. It's through believing in who I am. It's believing in what I've done. It's believing in God's finished work. It's all about believing. That is, that is the way. But then there's the where. Look at the uh, simplicity and the honesty that comes after verse 4. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the, the way? Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Without a clear understanding of the final destination, they couldn't be sure of the route on how to get there. 
Um, one of the couples in our church had a baby. On, well, actually, the woman had the baby, but they as a couple now have a son. And uh, happened on uh, Friday, and Sue and I decided we were going to go and visit. Um, wanted to go and congratulate them, and we had an opportunity, a little bit of time in our schedule to do that. And, and so um, we're getting ready to go, and, and I look up, and I've got a room number. But I don't know which hospital. When you don't know where you're going, right, you don't know the way. When you don't know where you're going, you don't know the way. And, and what I love about Thomas in this, because so I poked at him last week, and, and he's the one later on, and when he doesn't see Jesus, he doubts, and we call him what? We call him Doubting Thomas, and people even point in this text at that, and, and I get it. I'm a little bit like that about him, but, but look what he does. Is Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know way. Lord, we don't know where you're going. Like, he's still on the plan. They're still on the plan. We're, we're going to leave this room, and we're going somewhere else. Are we going to another town, another city, another part of this city? We don't know where we're going. How can we know the way? Again, easy for us, because we know what the answer to all this is. We've seen it all, but you have to imagine them sitting there, and Jesus is saying these things to him, and he just very honestly, he just very honestly says, Lord, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know where you're going. I love that dialogue they could have with each other and the honesty of it and the simplicity of it and the easy familiarity they could have even in the conversation. And, and Jesus doesn't rebuke him. I'm sure he looked around and as Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where we're going. The rest of them are like, yeah, we don't know where you're going. We don't know where you're going. And then Jesus makes one of the most profound statements in all of Scripture when he says, I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Where are we going? No man comes to the Father except through me. Oh, that's where we're going. Oh, that's where, the place you're going to prepare for us. Oh, that's where we're going. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice in the statement, Jesus didn't say he would show us a way. He said he is the way. Jesus didn't promise to teach us a truth. He said, I am the truth. Jesus didn't offer us the secrets of life. He said, I am the life. Me, me, I'm wandering all around. I don't know where I'm going. And Jesus says, I am the way. Me, I'm confused. I don't know what to think. I hear so many different things in the world. And Jesus says, I am the truth. Me, I'm dead inside. I have no life outside of Christ. And Jesus says to me, I am the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the way to heaven. I am the way to the Father. In light of events that are going to happen in just a very few hours, this, de this declaration is a huge paradox. I am the way and the truth and the life. In just a few hours, Jesus would be on the cross as the way. He would face a trial that was filled with blatant liars. He said, I am the truth. And his body would soon lie lifeless in a tomb. 
but I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Do not overlook the faith involved both in the utterance and the acceptance of those words spoken as they were on the eve of the crucifixion. I am the way, said one who would shortly hang impotent on a cross. I am the truth when the lies of evil people were about to enjoy a spectacular triumph. I am the life when within a matter of hours his corpse would be placed in a tomb. All of this had to happen so God could fulfill. The plan could be done. What Jesus Christ came to do would be accomplished for you and I. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except he comes through me. And it worked out for us. God's plan was finished for us because Jesus took that way. He didn't contest the lies. He is the truth. He willingly died, but then he rose again because he was who he said he was, and he did what he said he would do. When I was a kid, I heard somebody say this, uh, without the way, there is no going. Without Jesus going first, there's no going for us. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth of Jesus Christ, there is no knowing. There's no knowing the plan of God. There's no knowing our salvation and how it can be completed. Without the life, there is no living. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And if we don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, we die a second death, separated from him for eternity Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. And without the life, there is no living. No one comes to the Father, Jesus said, except through me. No one. No one. When Jesus says this, this is one of the most controversial statements that he ever makes. When he claims, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, it's just like the culmination of all the things they hated about him. Because he's saying all those religious rituals that you've been doing in your structure, all those laws that you think are going to carry you through, Jesus said, I am the answer to all those things. Those things will not get you to heaven. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. All the religious leaders, he's just throwing it right in their face. It's not about those things. It's about what I'm accomplishing in this. All of the other religions say it's not about those things. You follow all those religions what you want, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. It's not about how hard you try or how, how good you are or how much you think you deserve to get to heaven. Jesus said, those aren't the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He says, no one. Not this group of people and this group of people and this group of people. He says, no, no, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. Simply put, if Jesus is not the only way to God, then Jesus is not any way to God. Simply put, if Jesus is not the only way to God, Jesus is not one of the ways to God. He absolutely claimed there was one way to God and he was that way. And so if you're here today and you're wondering in your life and you're seeing the emptiness of it and 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. The problems of life are not resolved. Salvation is not taken care of in any other way. There's no other way under heaven except through Jesus Christ by which people are saved. And Jesus said, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I'm so thrilled and so thankful I don't have to earn it. I don't deserve it. God gives it to me. It's a gift. And what do I have to do? I have to believe. I understand that I am a sinner. I was separated from God, and I couldn't fix it. I couldn't do anything about it. And Jesus Christ came and gave his life so I could have eternal life. What do I have to do? Believe. Well, I don't have to earn it. No, just believe. But is there something I can do? No, just believe. Jesus did it all because you couldn't do it. He was the right and righteous, the only sufficient sacrifice so you could have eternal life. Stop trying to get to God on your own. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If that's your story today, that's where you're, you can come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as simple like this. It's like, Lord, I understand. I understand. I get it. I finally get it. I'm a sinner. I can't fix it. Jesus was the payment for my sin. He paid what I couldn't pay so that I could be saved. And today I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm turning away from all of those other things I ever believed before, that nonsense about trying to get to you, Lord. I can't do it. Jesus did it all. Today I put my faith, I put my trust in Jesus Christ. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. You're my Savior. And today I believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Hey, church. This message is all about Jesus being your way and your truth and your life. And then what difference does it make for us as we seek to live our lives for the glory of God? Don't let your heart be troubled. But we live in a troubled world. Yeah, believe in God. Believe in God. And believe what God is preparing for you because of the finished work of Jesus Christ the Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you that there is salvation in no other one other than in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those who are in the room today who, who need, who are at that place. They need to surrender themselves and trust you, Lord. Would you bring them to that place of simple surrender to Jesus Christ, the Savior? Would you do that work, God, for your glory? And for us, Father, we get wrapped up and wonder and we get anxious about so many things. And, and yet, Lord, you are God. You are in control. We've seen your faithfulness. We've seen your goodness. You're, you're not going to bail on us now. And so, Lord, we, we choose to believe. And, God, we will move forward because of your faithfulness and your goodness and the finished work through Jesus Christ, the one and only. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, there's a certain portion of you who are in the room right now who are looking down at your notes and going, what, what happened? 
Who do, who do you think you are? He never dealt with it. Who do you think you are? How can we finish the message? The pastor missed the last point. Communion is the last point today. Who do you think you are? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And yet we get caught up in all of our stuff and we get our priorities all messed up and, and that we're out there trying so hard to do things and, and Jesus is going, just get your eyes on me. Just get your eyes on me. Don't forget me. In 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul was talking about communion, he said, as often as you do this, as often as you do this, then you remember the Lord's death when, until he comes. Until he comes to what? Then to take us to himself. So we think about who do you think you are today. I want us to think about it in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. See, I read those verses from Matthew uh, chapter 26, right near the beginning, where Jesus said, I'm not going to do this again with you until we do it in heaven. But in the verses before that, in Matthew 26, he says this. Now, as they were eating, this is during that whole same time of where our message was tonight. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup when he'd given thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink of it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus told us to have communion. He told us to remember. He told us to never forget what he has done for us. Don't ever forget that he is the bread of life. Don't ever forget he is the good shepherd. Don't ever forget he is the door. Don't ever forget he is the light. Don't ever forget he is the resurrection and the life. Don't ever forget he is the way, the truth, and the light. Don't ever forget he hung his body willingly on a cross. He shed his blood so we could have eternal life. Don't ever forget and the best way to remember is to remember through the symbols. Remember through the symbols of the, of the bread and of the blood. Communion is a way we remember. It's not the only way we remember, but it's a way he told us to remember. So it's communion four. It's not for perfect people. There's not a single person in the room who would take it. It's for forgiven people people have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's for people who are desiring to be obedient in their walk, not perfectly, but moving forward. It's for people who allow God to examine them and they deal with the sin in their lives and they get right with Him. And when we're examining ourselves and seeking to live for the Lord best we can, not perfectly, but desiring the Lord first, then we come with confidence and we take communion. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, I want to encourage you not to come when people come. We're not all going to come at the same time. People are going to come down the rows and don't feel you're going to be centered out in any way because I would hate to think that you came and you had a little bit of a cracker and you had a little bit of grape juice because that's what it is. It's a cracker and grape juice. It's what it represents. That's everything. That you would come and you would take them and think somehow you got closer to God. The cracker and the cup, they don't get you closer to God. We take them because of what God has done for us. And so don't come and think, oh, this, if I do this, then maybe God will love me. No, no, God loves you already. 
you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you've done that, well, then you come. So I want you to just take a moment and quiet as a church, and, and then when you're ready, you come. You come. There's a table also at the back over there and, and one over here so that we can kind of expedite this out a little bit. But when you come, make sure you take both of the cups and take them back to your seat. And after you've had a moment of quiet before the Lord, be right before Him, then take these symbols as a memorial that we never forget that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, not you, not me, not nobody, comes to the Father except through Him. And when you're ready, 